0: Good afternoon to all of our fellow health enthusiasts. My name is Aubrey Mast and I am a professor of nutrition. This is a new podcast developed by my friend and colleague, Dr. Charles Benz. And we call this show Healing Trends with Dr. Benz. We search the internet every day to find the best scientific studies that can be used to improve the health of every interested person. You will not see many of these studies in the conventional media because most doctors do not have the time or the interest in finding them. There are also special interests that are less than enthusiastic about you knowing about the studies. Every week we will explore nutritional science that has the potential to prevent and even reverse 90% of chronic illness. This could save many lives and help to stop the healthcare crisis that will eventually bankrupt our country. This is frequently called functional medicine and it has been adopted by thousands of doctors as well as medical schools and hospitals, including the Cleveland Clinic. Today's program is entitled Living Longer with Better Foods. Hi, Dr. Benz.
1: Hi, Aubrey. Uh... I, I, I hesitate to, to put out the name of this study that came out, but it, it has gotten a lot of reaction, and it is from a very res- prestigious school. I mean, the Michigan School of Public Health, um, University of Michigan, and the, heading, the headline was, Eating One Hot Dog Claims 35 Minutes of Your Life, <laughs> which means if you eat that hot dog, you'll live 35 minutes less than you would have if you hadn't eaten the hot dog. And I thought to myself, okay, uh, the logic of it on the surface makes sense. It's not a great food, these beef hot dogs. But then I started to look into it and then the feedback started to come from people who were reading it. And the combination of those two things really caused me to freak out a little bit uh, because 95 percent of the comments from people were negative they just said too bad uh i love my hot dogs or my grandfather loved his hot dogs or my grandmother loved her hot dogs and you know they lived to 102 and 105 and i thought oh my god i've never seen that much pushback from one from one little study for one big study and, and it looked at 5,000 foods and, and gave a ranking to every one of them, whether you gained more time because the food was so good that you extended your life, or you lost time because the food was bad. What, what was your impression of that, of that study?
0: just makes me think of that statistic that got thrown around a couple of years ago, that if you eat bacon on a monthly basis, that you uh, increase your cancer risk by like 70%. And I remember uh, there being a, a similar backlash, right? Where, oh, but I love my bacon. I have to have my bacon. I have to eat it every week. And so I think what came up for me is two things, right? Of how much we will cling to the foods, whether they are foods that we love or they're part of our family culture or our social culture, right? And they've been normalized. But then also about how foods can... there's In this study, they're talking about claiming 30 minutes, 35 minutes off of life. They're really talking about an adverse effect, shortening telomere lengths. So what's happening is that you're eating a highly inflammatory food and it is causing this reduction in your length of your telomeres, which is directly correlated with the longevity of your life. And I was thinking about that in terms of like how often do we make these food choices that are considered adverse offense, events that are shortening our lifespan without recognizing it. And we do the same thing, right? We get really protective. Well, I don't want to give up my bag of Doritos. Well, I don't want to give up my cheeseburger. Well, I'm not going to, right? Without recognizing that there's immediate effects, but then also long-term effects.
1: Well, I, I, th- I think you just nailed it. The immediate and the long-term because I, I've been telling people for years that every food you put in your mouth, as either a negative or a positive response in your body and so if you eat these foods that are toxic or you know, aren't don't have enough nutrients in them then the chances are your cells are saying we didn't like that and those cells get stressed and when they get stressed then the telomeres get shorter and the shorter the telomeres are the, l- the less long you live and so when, when you look at the, the studies, it says, okay, the average person has 120 years worth of telomeres. Um, so if the average age of, uh, of, of people in America is uh, 80 or 78, depending on whether it's women or men, uh, then we're only reaching two thirds of our potential. And you hear a lot of people say, well, I, you know, I don't wanna live to 110 or 120 because those are gonna be terrible years. Uh, and, and I go further than, than that to say that, that Drew Carey is a classic example because I remember when he actually said, You'll have to pry my hamburger out of my cold, dead hand uh, before you'll get me to not eat that hamburger. And then he had angina and he had to have a stent put in. And the doctor told him, You know, you, you, you probably need triple bypass, bypass surgery. And I, I was surprised that I thought his transformation where he lost all the weight and changed his diet, I just thought that was like the next day. That was 10 years later. He, he, he really didn't get onto it until he started to have additional issues later. And that's when I think the doctor gave him the ominous uh, message, you try this again, and a stent won't be what, you, what you're up against and that's when he started to change and he lost the 50 pounds and you know he probably changed his diet and got rid of the hamburger or at least changed over to something a lot more healthy like a turkey burger um, but to me that always stuck in my mind that that's how strong that that message is that uh, that's my food of comfort that's that's the one that gets me through the day that's the one my mother fed me for my whole life so there's lots of reasons why they hold on to these things but what are some of the reasons why they shouldn't what are some of the reasons why this study really wasn't valid beyond the stuff that we've just said Uh, my first one would be it all depends on how many other things you ate that day (laughs) and and so in balance uh, you may have eaten 90 percent good things and one negative thing you're not you're not going to end up with that much of a problem but what are some of the other things that you saw that that you thought really didn't jive with with the results
0: well, I, I get real frustrated when we make blanket statements around foods or without, with discrediting the role of epigenetics and our body's individual ability to biochemical makeup to, to break down metabolites, to metabolize food. And so each of us carries our own genetic codes that comes from our own ancestral backgrounds, which is indicative of how we're able to absorb nutrients. So it's not just a combination of what are we eating, it's also how is our body capable of digesting it and utilizing it. And that was not brought up in the study, which really I find a, a problem.
1: Yeah, and and you know, I was on a webinar this morning with, uh, with a doctor f- from Hawaii, and she was talking about vitamin D, and, and I was throwing questions out about how in the southern hemisphere get a lot more Uh, vitamin d because of the sun but in the northern hemisphere they don't and she popped in and said yeah but look at the eskimos they they get a lot of vitamin d well sure they're eating all that great fish and all those fatty materials with all that d in it so in the way those 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 cultures have kind of adapted their diet to the things that they weren't able to get Uh, they can't get the fruit and vegetables and they can't get the sunshine and so you're right. Depending on where you live and what your cultural inheritance is, you, you, you have a completely different way to metabolize those foods. Um, but how about the modern stuff? How about the stuff that has nothing to do with culture, that has to do with how much we cook our foods and how many raw foods we eat and how many foods we microwave? How, how much influence do you think they have on this whole equation?
0: I mean, I think from the research that I've done throughout the years that the uh, research has that, that I worked at, there's a huge difference when we prepare foods, whether it's fermented, whether we have cooked it on a stovetop, we've boiled it, we have fried it, we have microwaved it, and I, there is a grand variation of the nutritional quality based upon the way that it has been prepared, you know, especially with like hot dogs. We know that if they're charred, grilled, that that can increase the carcinogenic load of the hot dog. So, there's a lot of variations in preparation that have to be taken into consideration when we're looking at, well, how is this really shortening your life? And that plays a role within toxin exposure. How was it prepared? What kind of meat quality is it? You know, and then also what are we pairing it with?
1: Well, you know, on the the food value chart that I developed several years ago, I put foods into ten categories with uh, the number one category being the healthiest foods uh, with the least amount of negative influences, number 10 being the worst. And so when people fill that out, and and the ideal scenario is for a person to get 80% of their foods from categories 7, 8, 9, and 10. So, And then I say, what what you should do is take the foods that you eat too much of in categories 1, 2, 3, and 4 and replace them. And so then I give an example, like if you're eating a beef uh, hamburger or beef hot dog, go to a turkey dog or, or, or a turkey burger. And and then if you want to, and that's like category seven, if you want to go to eight and nine or 10, then go to a vegetable burger or a vegetable dog. And so th- those are the ways that I've recommended that people adapt and, and the same thing is true with milk. You know, uh, unfortunately, cow dairy is not the, the, the most healthy thing in the world. But goat and sheep have uh, much, much healthier milks. And then if you go to the plant-based milks, uh, they're even healthier. And so it's all reflected in this little diagram that I have in this, this set of, of, of foods, in, 200 foods in these, uh, in these 10 categories. And so I think it's very easy for people to figure it out if they just want to improve their score. And I I would say if you get a score of 80% of your foods from seven, eight, nine, and 10, the chances of you getting a chronic illness and having serious health problems and and, and not living a long, healthy life are very, very low. So then people have the idea that, oh, okay, all I need to do is do some switching out. And the taste buds, you know what? The taste buds will adapt within a couple of weeks. What's your opinion about that? Because everybody says, well, We know they're addicted to certain foods, but you know what? You can get rid of those addictions. So what's been your experience with that?
0: Well, with people that have been on highly processed diets, you know, and are part of the standard American diet where they're eating fast foods and high fat, high sugar concentrations, you're not going to all of a sudden start craving broccoli just because you eat it one time. You have to wait for your taste buds to catch up to adapting. We see this in studies that look at children that I've never, you know, been barely exposed to fruits and vegetables and it's possible to change our taste buds so that there is a greater craving or an addiction quality towards those healthier foods, but it takes close to a month for that to, to occur and we have to consistently choose a healthier diet in the meantime. And also, I think we, have, we can't ever discount the role of high fat, high sugar rich foods upon a neurological functioning because that's really where we do see evidence of this addictive quality of foods and that keeps us coming back for more and more.
1: And, and, and I think that wasn't mentioned enough either because I, I think a lot of these cravings that people have that they hang on to so vociferously and so strong, it's because they're addicted. And, and, and so if the if the person says, well, you know, uh, beef burgers, they just taste much better. I say, look, if you if you get some beef burger meat and you actually combine it with some dark meat turkey ground and you put that together, the taste is going to be marginal. You'll get over it in a week. Then you just if you want to really do the science, you just gradually add more and more of the turkey burger uh, meat and less and less of the beef burger. I've had actually people do that, and they've said, "You know what? You were right. It did get a, it did. I, I became satisfied. Same thing with bacon. Instead of beef or pork bacon, do the turkey bacon. It tastes about 95 percent the same in my taste buds, and and then make sure you dab out the uh, the, the the fat that, that remained. And so there's ways to do it if you want to work at it a little bit. But that's the problem. I don't think people want to work at it. They're, they just, they're too committed to eating in the pattern they're eating in and getting it done as quickly as possible. Then they don't chew their food properly, which is another problem. So by the time you don't eat the right foods, you don't chew them properly. The studies that I've looked at said you can lose about 50 to 60% of the value of your food, even if you're eating a good food because you didn't digest it and your body didn't use it properly. What, what's your feeling on that?
0: No, well, I think that plays a huge role in our, like, in our consciousness around eating. We are most of the time unconscious when we're consuming. I know most of us have had that experience where you're halfway through a meal and you don't even know what flavor profiles you've been picking up on because you've just been putting food in your mouth. You know, and I think also in my experience, what I've seen is people don't change those behaviors and those patterns and those addictions to food and to the unconsciousness we have around consuming food until their backs are up against the wall with a health issue and they're forced to make a change. And that's really a hard place to be because then all of a sudden you're looking at um, the role of your patterns and your you know, behaviors and then also the places where you've used food as a comforting agent or you've used addictions to food as really a marker of who you, how you self-identify. You know, I hear, I hear that a lot of like, oh, well, I have to have cheese. There is an identity with eating cheese then. And when you become ill and you have to start removing those things, all of a sudden you're looking at yourself in a new light that can feel really vulnerable.
1: Yeah, you're feeling like, okay, I have to give something up.
0: Yep, completely. And,
1: and, and so that's the, the, the giving up syndrome, all yep. right? And, and, and the one I hate, I think more than anything else, is the pediatrician who the mother says, you know, little Johnny won't eat this and won't eat that. Uh, and he looks at the weight and the height of the guy, of the kid, and he says, well, you know, he'll grow out of that. I, I, that infuriates me, all right? Because that kid is, is gonna be programmed for life. His cells are gonna be developing all of these habits and, and, and these rituals around food. And I remember I had uh, somebody in my first year of university, all he ate was french fries. Period, morning, noon, and night, and I thought to myself. Even then, I I didn't really know it, but I thought that can't be right. That that can't that can't work, you know. And then you you look at pandas, you know, all they eat is bamboo shoots, and you think, all right, well, maybe maybe he's got the metabolism of a of a panda, and and his thing is French fries. But that always that always bothered me, and. The more I get into it on my own, I mean, I actually stopped drinking dairy, uh, you know, cows, cow's milk, when I was 18, 19 years old. But it wasn't because of any health issue, it was a vanity thing. I had acne, and I thought, maybe this dairy is causing this. It took me about 40, 50 years, and I finally found a study that said, yeah, there is a connection there. <laughs> But I, I did it intuitively, so I was practicing this intuitive medicine when I was 18 and 19 years old, but it was vanity. And so I think a lot of people are losing weight because of vanity. Not because they want to get to a healthy weight, because they want to look better and because they want to feel better. What do you think about the whole weight loss side of this?
0: I mean, I think it, it hits on to body image and it it also hits on to how we've lost a connection to intuitive eating with what's really healthful and nutritional for us this morning i taught class and my students and i were discussing and you know uh, interpreting what the keto diet does and this very conversation came up around choosing a diet based upon not the health outcome but the weight loss aspect for the aesthetic purposes right for the body image purposes and how that is so detrimental to long-term behavior and nutritional needs and changes. I think that's a very slippery slope in in ways that you end up in disordered eating patterns, truly.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, the keto diet, you know, you can just almost, uh, whether it's the the vegan or the keto, you can almost anticipate within three months people are going to have vitamin D3 deficiencies. and and then they're gonna have some vitamin B uh, deficiencies. And uh, so if they're not reading intelligently, and I think that's the problem, lots of people go with one of those diets and they just go with the pop culture version of it. And so they go, oh, wow, I lost five pounds or I lost 10 pounds. They think that's great, but they're not doing the blood work. And that's the problem again with the doctors. The doctors have these blood panels that are pathetic. And they just don't, they don't have homocysteine in there. They don't have uh, C-reactive protein. Um, th- they don't have the vitamin D level. So the doctor is, he, this person's on a diet and the, the, the patient gets on there and he goes, oh, your weight's down, that's good. And not what are you doing? And what are the negative impacts of that gonna be? And, and I think that's where the functional medicine doctor or the naturopath comes in and says, "What well, these are the right questions that you need to ask in this situation. So they're not getting good, good medical advice. They're not doing the right tests to find out whether this diet is good for them or not. And I just think it's a, it, 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 it's, it's a, it's a strange and, and serious situation because we still got people cooking their food too much when at least 50% of the foods they eat should be raw. And you're right, every time you cook a food, you destroy the enzymes and a lot of the nutrients. And there's whole studies that have been done showing exactly how much of each nutrient is lost when you cook a food. And it's just one of those things where microwave, I mean, we threw away our microwave about 25 or 30 years ago, because there were too many studies out there that just showed it changed the molecular uh, structure of the food. So we get, we have one of those uh, baking ovens. It's just like, looks like a microwave, but it uses heat instead of microwave. And all you do is you put something in there, you push the amount of time you want to go. And then just like Pavlov's uh, dogs, the the thing goes bing and you go, oh, my food's ready now. So sure, it takes you eight minutes or 10 minutes or whatever. But so what? Uh, The the, the, the health issues that are involved there are monumental. And so I I always tell people, get rid of your microwave, eat 50% of your food's raw. Whatever you're eating, make sure it's a highly nutrient food because it really will make a difference in your life in terms of chronic illness. And, and I, I'm working with a lot of cancer patients who have been giving cancer conferences over the last five or 10 years. And you know what? Cancer is one of those illnesses where people do start to pay attention to their diet. And when they looked at this big study that showed how many people actually survived the longest There were two things that they did consistently. They ate better and they had a positive spiritual attitude. And I thought, well, isn't that interesting? And I think that book was called Radical Remission. And uh, it was just fascinating. And as far as living a long time, uh, the people in Okinawa live about 10 to 20 years longer than Americans do. you see studies, there's an Okinawan diet book out there, but you see these, these guys 105, 110 years old climbing up on the roof and replacing shingles and, and, and uh, going under bicycle down to, the, uh, down to the city to buy some more supplies and come back. And I'm going, who says that your life is have, gonna have to deteriorate after a certain age? That, that's just not true. So there's a lot of false information out there and, and I just think this study didn't do a lot to help us. Um, the, 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 the quote that I think was the worst of all the ones that I saw on the website was, I did the evaluation of all the foods that I eat. And when I did the calculation, according to this study, I should have died two years before I was born. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, Okay, this is, this is the extreme, if you will, of this, of this whole scenario, but it just shows you how careful you have to be when you mess around with, with people's food choices. Um, and and we, we know, and, and this is the, the study that I have done in, in, independently when I do a workshop, I ask people how many, how many of you think you have a good diet, and 90% of the people put up their hands. And then I'll, I'll do my workshop, you know, either the food of medicine or the care and feeding of the brain. And at the end of the two or two and a half hours, I say, how many people think they have a healthy diet? Nobody puts up their hand. So to me, and I'm, I'm sorry to say this, but the biggest problem is delusion. And we know from at least three different studies from the National Cancer Institute, University of North Carolina, and the Stanford Medical School, that 90% so 95% of people do not have a healthy diet. And in fact, the cancer study, they, they, they found most people were deficient in 11 out of 14 categories. So this whole thing, I think this little article that I wrote says, this American individuality and arrogance is a problem that is so pervasive that I don't know whether, whether we're gonna get healthier very soon. I think you have to go back to the jurist, Oliver Wendell Holmes, who said, the key to a long and healthy life is to get a chronic disease and take good care of it. Yep. And I just think, unfortunately, that's the way it is. Until people get sick, I mean, seriously sick, I don't think a lot of them are gonna change their, I I, I wish they could, I wish they would, but I just don't think that's gonna be something that's gonna be in our immediate future because there's just too many barriers some of them we've talked about, and uh, there's a lot more. Is there anything else you had on your uh, to do list to mention on this topic before I get our, sm- our sponsors keyed in?
0: I think we got it all.
1: Yeah, we did. I think we did enough to kind of get them going. Um, you know, I wish there were some good things that we could tell people to do. I mean, uh, they, they, they could explore the benefits of the Mediterranean diet uh, because the science says. That's, that's the diet that's going to have the best impact on your health overall uh, because a lot of the issues about the Paleo and the Keto just don't happen with the, with the, uh, the Mediterranean diet. Um, I just think they have to choose uh, some, some good, good studies and some good websites to look at. Um, you know, Metagenics is a good company. They make good supplements if you need them and most people do uh, need a few anyway. And uh, there's, there's a lot of good food programs out there. Uh, there's a lot of good studies on life, life extension and uh, there's, there's a thing called uh, Frontiers in Pharmacy and they have a lot of good scientific protocols uh, that, that talk about how to eat better and use supplements to prevent chronic illness. So. I think we've given some people some ideas. Uh, I hope that they've uh, managed to glean something from them. And I'd just like to take a few minutes to thank our sponsors who are uh, helping us to allow this to, to, to be carried on week in and week out. And the first one is the Southern Trust Financial Planning Company. They're, they're located in Sarasota. And they're really conscientious, uh, not only in their financial planning, but also in, in their health planning because I think uh, the theory that I developed with them back oh, 15 years ago when I started to work with them was what good is wealth if you don't have your health. Um, so he bought into that. Mark Wolf was the CEO and still is. And so he's he's decided to help his clients to become healthier. And uh, I would say that if somebody wanted to have some financial planning, that's the kind of company that I think you want to work with, uh, Southern Trust Financial Planning. Uh, the other sponsor I can mention right now is the DHA Labs. DHA Labs has been probably one of the most progressive um, biomarker lab companies in the country with their blood tests and their genetic tests and their urine tests. And I've helped them develop about six different tests for immune function and prevention of cancer and prevention of Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. And so DHA Labs has probably the best suite of, of panels for uh, finding the early, uh, the early causes of, uh, of these illnesses and therefore being able to prevent them and so DHA labs is a, a really good company and I think if you're an individual or a small group or even a large group you, know, you could use the services of DHA labs to help your organization uh, and, and its employees get healthier. Paddock Pools is the third company there in Rock Hill, South Carolina and they have a kind of a vacuum extractor that they've designed and developed that uh, sucks all the chlorine uh, gas off the surface of the water, allows people to swim in uh, a pool that has good oxygen levels because that chlorine gas can actually cause zinc deficiency and the zinc deficiency then, then can cause a vitamin D3 deficiency, which can lead to different kinds of cancer. So I hate to say it, but you know, if people who swim a lot, uh, there's a risk uh, involved in that swimming because of that chlorine gas. And so paddock pools has uh, found a solution for that. So on your next pool project in your community, Uh, Make sure you add paddock pools to the list of uh, possible contractors and try to find a pool that's already designed by them that's in your community as well. That's where you want to swim. And the final company is MPB Health. MPB Health uh, is not a health insurance company, but it's a thing called medical cost sharing. And what they're able to do with their wellness programs and their administrative cutting details, and uh, they, they also work very hard to get the prices down for their doctors and their hospitals, they're able to actually reduce the overall cost of their healthcare services by 30 to 50%. So you don't have to have insurance and the insurance companies put you in a block of people where there's some healthy and some unhealthy. Uh, They try to make sure they screen the people going in so that the healthy ones don't get penalized by having too many unhealthy ones in there. And so if you want to get in there, you have to become a little bit healthier first and then you can get in there and get those lower rates. So MPB Health, uh, you can go on their website and see some of their videos, and then you can talk to a a person there that can give you more information about how to be involved in their program. So those are our four sponsors that uh, help us to be able to do what we do. We appreciate their support, and as always, I appreciate your support, Aubrey. You're always ready with good information. Really appreciate you. Bye-bye.